Greetings all and welcome back to the Everyday Hope Podcast. Good to be with you all again. want to start out this time with a couple of quick shout outs. Shout out to Stephen and Christy. It was really good to see you guys. Nice job on the house. Nice job on the boys. A shout out to Corey and Raven. Dinner soon at the ranch, guys. Shout out to my niece, Shannon, who has Valley Fever, but she has it in Illinois where none of the doctors know anything about it. So hang in there, Shan. Shout out to Elma and Dylan. We're definitely going to do this thing, and I'm so, so proud of you guys. Shout out to Dave and Maria. That was a really good dinner last night. And shout out to a good friend and fellow Jesus freak, Lakia. We're praying for you. Also, one big shout out to all those glorious people born in September. Most people know this already, but people who are born in September are just better people. So happy birthday to all, especially to my nephew, Michael. You keep fighting the good fight, brother. And to those of you not born in September, we still love you. I also wanted to say I learned a new Canadian word this week, antibiotics. I think those are medicines that help fight infections, but I'm not sure about that. All right, so let's get back to Revelation. In this episode, we're not only going to finish up chapter 3, but we're also going to talk about the last of the seven churches listed in chapters 2 and 3. So far, we've talked about the messages to the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Sardis, Thyatira, and Philadelphia. And now we get to talk about one of the most interesting messages to the church at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a little city that became a wealthy and prominent Hellenistic metropolis in the Roman Empire. And it did that mostly because of its geography. The city lies a bit south of Philadelphia in southern Turkey, near but not on the Lycus River Valley. It's in a very odd spot considering the lack of water there. Now, across the river, about six miles away, was the city of Hierapolis, renowned for its native hot springs that reached temperatures up around 95 degrees. People would come from miles around for the healing qualities of the spas. The hot mineral-laden water would run across a small plateau and down the 300-foot drop into the valley. It's reported that from Laodicea, you could see the calcium-encrusted cliff over which this water ran. And, of course, anybody who's lived in Tucson for any length of time can imagine exactly what that looked like. Upriver, about 11 miles away, was the city of Colossae. Colossae had an abundant supply of cool, fresh drinking water. Since Laodicea had no native water source, it relied on its neighbors for water. The springs of Hierapolis made their way across the valley using gravity, but water from Colossae was brought into Laodicea by stone aqueducts and pipes. So, a major city with no natural water source, which might seem odd, especially to us desert dwellers. But the location was no accident. It was built on a major crossroads, the intersection of the major east-west and north-south trade routes. It was a major trade center. Consequently, the city became a wealthy and important financial center for the whole region. Now, remember those bad first century earthquakes we talked about in the last episode? Well, Laodicea was so wealthy that when the earthquakes rocked Asia Minor, Laodicea was wealthy enough to rebuild itself without help from Rome. In fact, this was one of the three things that Laodicea was famous for. It was famous for its wealth. As I said, it was a prosperous city. It was an important trade city, but also a banking center, which several ancient writings describe. Situated on the trade routes, it was an obvious center for financial dealings. It was also famous for its wool. The people of this region had bred a specific kind of sheep that produced a black, silky wool that Laodicea was world-renowned for. In fact, there are many ancient documents in which this city is referred to by the name of a special tunic made from this wool. They were the fashion capital of their day. Its third claim to fame was for its eye salve, 
There was a famous and popular medical school there. They were known for combining treatments and medications to treat patients with eye difficulties. They had developed an ear tonic that was very popular, but they were best known for this eye salve that was supposed to cure a variety of sight-related issues. This was the ancient city of Laodicea, known for wealth, clothing, and their popular eye medicines. This was the city to which Jesus directed the last of the seven messages. So, let's read that message. Now, remember that each of the messages is made up of seven sections, and as we do in each episode, I'm going to read that message, the message to Laodicea, using the framework of those seven sections. So, this is Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. And verse 14 covers the first four parts, the destination and the command to write, the thus says section, and the description of the speaker who is Jesus. So, here's verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. Now, the exclamation Amen is an ancient way to declare the truth of something. In the movie, The Gospel of John, every time the passage said, Amen, I tell you, they translated it as Jesus saying, I am telling you the truth, which is really good. So in this verse, Jesus is declaring himself as the truth and the true one. Then comes the I know section, verse 15. Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. Now, this is a difficult accusation, and and folks have come up with a, a lot of difficult interpretations trying to make this make sense. Hopefully, we can simplify it a bit in this episode. Then comes the arrangement section in verses 16 to 23. This is not only one of the longest, it's also one of the best known. Jesus says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you, and keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. Wow, this this goes very quickly from a pretty serious admonition to a pretty serious promise. We're going to need to break this one down. Then finally, the proclamation in verses 21 to 22. To the one who conquers... I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. All right, there's some pretty serious stuff in this passage. And I want to spend some time talking about two big issues. First, what's the whole deal with the hot, cold, and lukewarm thing? And second, I'm very interested in the whole poor, blind, and naked thing. So I want to get into both. Now, this message has a curious feature that most of you have probably wondered about. Jesus talks about being hot, cold, and lukewarm. He says that he would prefer them to be either hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And for years, the common popular interpretation had to do with your spiritual temperature. He's describing hot faith, cold faith, and lukewarm faith. The hot people were on fire with passion for Jesus. The cold people had decided they did not believe in him at all. But the lukewarm folks were undecided, sort of floundering in the middle without committing one way or the other. And i got to be honest, I've always struggled with that explanation. I can never understand how Jesus would prefer a person with no faith 
to a person with moderate or flimsy faith. It never made sense that Jesus would prefer that you choose not to believe in him than to have a faith that wasn't quite there yet. Now, sure, I knew all the explanations, and, and I did what everyone else does. You know, I went with the whole choose a side thing. You know, Jesus would prefer that you choose a side than flounder in the middle. But that answer was never satisfactory to me. I never really bought it. When I read the Gospels, Jesus always seems to be more sensitive to those with weak faith than those who reject him outright. So I've always struggled to understand it. But when I finally understood the geography of this city, it really opened my eyes and gave me some context for understanding the message. And that context is water. Water was this city's biggest problem. They didn't have their own water source, so they relied on neighboring cities for water, right? All right, so let's talk about water for a second. Who likes cold water? I got to tell you, I do. I got a bottle of cold water sitting right next to me now. Cold water is good for all kinds of things, right? Who doesn't like a, a drink of cold, fresh water or a dunk in a pool on a hot day? It refreshes, it nourishes, it replenishes. We all like nice, cool water. Now, who likes hot water? <laughs> yeah, me too. Who doesn't like a nice hot bath or to soak in a hot jacuzzi or even a nice hot cup of tea on a cold night? Hot water is therapeutic and has healing properties. It helps with sore muscles and stressed shoulders and it's, and it's good to cook with. Now, who likes lukewarm water? Well, you know, I'd drink it if I was dying, right? But most folks wouldn't choose it. And it isn't any good for soaking sore muscles. You, you can't really cook with lukewarm water. Some of us might like our swimming pools a little warmer than normal, but we're going to ignore that. In a practical sense, especially in the ancient world, lukewarm water isn't really good for much. Now think about Laodicea. With no water source of its own, it looked to its neighbors for water. The cool, fresh springs of Colisse provided refreshing drinking water. The hot, mineral-rich waters of Hierapolis were soothing and therapeutic in Hierapolis. But by the time that water made its way down the valley, it was nasty. It was tepid, and it tasted strongly of alum. And an unwary visitor drinking from the wrong water source would take a big gulp of that lukewarm, crusty water and then puke all over the sidewalk. And it probably wasn't all that uncommon in Laodicea. When Jesus says lukewarm, everyone in that city had that image in their minds. Given that context, this message sounds very different. This may not be a call to pick a side. Jesus is saying something more like, look, hot water is therapeutic and cold water is refreshing, but I take a big drink of you guys expecting to be refreshed and I find you lukewarm. You have no passion for me. You're no good to anyone. Your heartless devotion to your religion makes me want to vomit. You aren't really mine if all you do is rely on yourself. Now, the real message to Laodicea lies in the charges leveled at this church by Jesus. The lukewarm thing is the symbolic way of describing their condition, but it gets real when he charges them with three spiritually bankrupt conditions. He accuses them of being poor, blind, and naked. Now, I want to say up front that I think these three things are like symptoms. They stem from a root disease that we'll talk about at the end, but they're pretty serious charges and very significant for this church. And why? Why is it so significant to Laodicea to call them poor, blind, and naked? Well, first, think about this. Spiritual poverty leaves us in the condition of Sardis, where our faith is dead. And spiritual blindness leaves us in the condition of Pergamum, compromising our faith in the face of false teachings. And spiritual nakedness would leave us in the position of Thyatira, stripped morally bare by the false prophet that follows the path of Jezebel. 
But even more than that, this is really kind of ironic. Remember that Laodicea was famous for three things. One, the city was immensely wealthy. Two, they were famous for making excellent fabric and clothing. And three, they were famous for that medicinal eye salve. So if you were to ask Laodiceans to describe themselves, they'd probably say they were rich, well-clothed, and endowed with excellent optic health. Yet Jesus charges them in precisely the three areas they boasted most about and took the most pride in. You say you're wealthy because you have a lot of money, yet you are spiritually poor. Your faith has no currency because it's dead. You are without passion, and therefore you have no real value. You need to purchase from me gold that is truly refined. You need to obtain the kind of riches only I can give, a spiritual wealth that comes from a vibrant and practical faith. You are so proud of your eye salve that people come from miles around for it. Isn't it ironic that you yourselves are spiritually blind and no salve of your own can heal you? You see nothing. You cannot discern truth from lie. You cannot lead those who are lost to me. I have the real thing. I can give you an eye salve that can heal your spiritual blindness. Come to me and let me give you sight so that you may see the way in which I'm leading you and so that you may see to lead others in that way as well. And you may say you're well clothed and you take pride in the wool and garments you produce, but you are naked. These garments produce nothing of value in you except worldly pride. Come and purchase from me white robes, the symbol of spiritual purity and victory in the faith. Like the martyrs around the throne, clothe yourselves in a faith that will withstand every testing from the enemy. Laodicea thought that they were so cool because they were so rich and made such good medicine and had such good wool to make clothes from, yet their faith had become meaningless, a combination of the poverty, blindness, and nakedness of some other churches. Their faith was no good to anyone, even to themselves. They relied completely on themselves and thought they had no real need for faith. All right, you know, I find it interesting that it's in this message, the message to the poor, blind, and naked church of Laodicea, that Jesus makes one of the best-known statements in Revelation. Revelation 3.20 says, Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Now, I need to say something. I don't like religion. It's usually bad for you. It's often unhealthy. And it usually gets in the way of doing what Jesus calls us to do. See, when Jesus began his ministry early in the first century, there was too much religion here already. The Jews had divided themselves into denominations, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, and a few smaller sects no one remembers. They all fought over the best way to practice their religion. They all fought over the rules, the manner of the festivals and the feasts, the way to interpret eschatology, and the way to hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Does sound familiar? Sounds a lot like the church today, right? So when Jesus came to us, he didn't come to start a new religion. There was too much religion here already. He came to remind people that in all their religious pursuits, they had forgotten the creator God who wanted a relationship with them, who wanted to be their primary focus every day. He wanted to be their God and for them to be his people. But their religion had become their God. Their law had become their God. And there was no room for a relationship with a personal God who was sovereign and provident. I wonder if this was Laodicea. The church there was full of people who undoubtedly participated in the wealth and pride of the city. Perhaps they claimed affiliation with the religion of Christianity. 
But according to Jesus, they had forgotten about a living and vibrant faith. They were probably religious folks who wanted to look a certain way, but their primary focus was on their lives, a part of which was their religion. To this church, Jesus says, listen, can't you hear that? That knocking sound, that's me. I'm right outside your door. I'm right here knocking. And if you hear me and let me in, I'll come in and join your fellowship. You see, that's what God really wants from us. He says to us, I want to be your God, your personal God. I'm right here knocking. Let me come in. Let me sit among you. Let us be in fellowship together. This claiming religion thing is fine for the world, but it means nothing to me. So many people will cry out to me on the last day, Lord, Lord, and I will have to respond with the truth. I never knew you. You never heard me knocking. You never let me come in and join the fellowship with you. I want to say it clearly in case you haven't heard it yet. Christianity is not about religion. It's not about a building or rules or rituals or dates or works or names. It's very simply about a personal relationship with the living creator God in the person of Jesus Christ who paid the ultimate bill to purchase this opportunity for us, the opportunity to have fellowship with God. Jesus has joined his divinity with our humanity, was born a little baby to a poor little family, in order to remake our humanity, which was broken by sin. He died a horrible death in order to kill death and give us life. And he rose on the third day and gave us resurrection as well so that we might live with him forever. It's this God who is knocking. He doesn't care about your religion. He cares about your discipleship. If you want to live your life your way, but still go to church on Sunday, you can do that. But that's not true Christianity. That's not what Jesus died to give you. He's he's knocking at the door. And if you've kept him outside in the cold, if you've kept him patiently knocking at the door, it's time to let him in. If you've never gone to that door and invited him into your life, I want to encourage you to do that right now. It's time to open that door. Maybe you've always considered yourself a Christian, in quotes. But in your heart, you know that you've never really opened that door to him. It's time to stop ignoring that sound at the door. It's time to open it and let him into your life. Now look, I know this sounds a little like a, a podcast altar call. I'm just saying, the, the message to Laodicea is a, well, it's a plea. Jesus is pleading with you. If you haven't let him in, he's pleading with you to do that. So do that. I'm going to pray for you now. And as always, please be safe. Keep your eyes on what you're doing. But let your hearts pray with me. Father, we praise you for this message to Laodicea. We praise you that you are not a God that sits back and waits for us to come to you and and then debates if we're good enough to let us in. No, miraculously, you come to us. You knock on the door of our hearts. Lord, I pray that if anyone listening has never opened that door to you, that you will stir them up right now. Stir them to say yes to you today. For the rest of us, Please, Lord, remind us daily that our faith is not just religion. You have called us to follow you. Help us to follow you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that does it for chapter 3. Next time we'll be looking at a really great scene of worship in heaven in Revelation 4. Peace.